Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with the pulse from six to seven on seven fifty. The game. All right, we we you know every year we sort of develop uh, you know a relationship with a certain media market. And what I mean by that is you know, like for example. We've got Justin Herbert playing for the Chargers. And so, you know, sometimes we'll bring on the beat reporter who covers the Chargers because there's a lot of Duck fans who care about that. Uh, our next guest, Zach Klein, works as the sports director at WSB-TV in Atlanta. It's the ABC affiliate. Now, he can talk about a whole bunch of things. Among them, he can talk about the Atlanta Falcons. Marcus Mariota getting his first regular season game with the Atlanta Falcons over the weekend. 27-26 loss to the New Orleans Saints. We're going to talk to him about that. He can also talk about Georgia football. Georgia blasted Oregon in the opening week of the college football season. Zach Klein was at Georgia Media Availability today. I'll ask him you know, about Kirby Smart and Georgia a week later. How is Georgia feeling about that game against Oregon? But he can also talk about the AP Top 25 poll. He's a voter, and he is one of four voters in the Eastern Time Zone who voted for Oregon State this week. Zach Klein joining us now. How are you, man? Uh, Corvallis loves you. The, the Oregon State fans love you because you put them on their ballot. Well, it's your, it's your world, brother. I'm just living in it, man. So, listen, <laughs> I appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm a big fan. You guys crush it out there on the West. So, uh, happy to represent the East Coast and show the Ducks some love, man. They deserve it. But to your point, I think Georgia's going to be doing this to almost every team they face this year. So, I mean, to drop Oregon completely out of the polls, based on a week one game, it just wasn't going to happen. Let me ask you, you know, as uh, how the poll voting works. Give us an idea because most of our listeners have never had this. You know, when do you have to have your ballot in? How do you sort of formulate what you do? Uh, so I, I, I am honored to do both the Associated Press Top 25 voting for college football and college hoops. And I always tell buddy, everybody, you know, they think just because we're the official TV station of the Georgia Bulldogs that I – vote for Georgia every week. I went to Kansas. I'm a Jayhawk, right? So I always kid people that, you know, I vote KU number one in football, and everybody kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we did win last week against West Virginia, so maybe I'll we'll crack the poll next week. But as for it goes for voting, you know, throughout the year, uh, listen, man, I mean, the, the preseason polls are, are, are a joke. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. If you had it uh, my way, bro, I'd I, I have them pick it up like week five, week six uh, of the regular season and then see where everybody stands. Uh, you get a really good idea of what uh, the teams are, are, are panning out to be. Uh, but our vote's got to be in by 11 a.m. Eastern time on Sunday, okay. where the vote comes out at 2 o'clock Eastern on Sunday. So what I do is, you know, I take my ballot from the week before, I insert it, and I look at who won for the week, who lost for the week, who was playing on the road, who knocked off uh, top 25 competition, had head competition. Can I watch every single game in the top 25 and cover Georgia and the Falcons and the Braves and everybody else? No. So I try to do a little bit of a deep dive in where these teams are ranked and what they did the week before, common opponents, and kind of give it my best guess. Is it perfect? No. But I try to do my homework and give it an honest assessment because I know so many fan bases, my friend, 
take this stuff very seriously, so I try to you know, give them a best effort. You had Oregon at 21 on your ballot. You had Oregon State at 25. Not many people had Oregon State. Um, I, I like the pick. I think there's probably some voters on the East Coast who were sleeping when this game happened. Uh, I talked to Brett McMurphy this morning. He put Oregon State. He said he stayed up late. I talked to Matt Brown. He said he had stayed up late. He works at The Athletic. He was editing stuff. So they were watching. Did you watch the Oregon State game, or did you just look at the score and go, hey, I like that's a quality win. I, they need to be on my ballot. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of both. I mean, listen, I didn't watch the game, uh, the entire game, but I did do my homework and, you know, checked out, you know, what happened when you're winning on the road uh, against, you know, a pretty solid Fresno State team. I like what they're doing. Uh, at the quarterback position, I like the overall the defensive play. And when you know you score 14 points or what 21 points in the second half, you're doing something right on the road. Is it a perfect science? No, but I also read and evaluate with with people's opinions that I do respect. Uh, you know, leading up to this week, John, and, and when they say, "Listen, man, pay attention to the Beavers. See what they got going on. Look what they're doing. Uh, you know, give them a little bit of a look early on. It gets on your radar, and then when you go back." pull up some of the West Coast feed and see what they're doing uh, in that time zone. All right, you know, they rallied. It was a good win, and I thought they were deserving of a top 25 pick. We're talking to Zach Klein. He's an AP voter. He's the sports director at WSB-TV in Atlanta. Uh, Georgia, how does Georgia feel now? They've had another game since demolishing Oregon. I know the Oregon fans didn't probably didn't expect Oregon to win that game, but I don't think they expected Oregon to get blown out of the building, and they did. Looking back at the opener, Zach, what do you think happened, and how is Georgia feeling now? Well, I think, John, it's what would happen with Kirby when he first came to Athens, what was that, you know, uh, seven years ago. And they won eight games that first year under Kirby Smart. They went eight and five. And then you start establishing the culture. You establish the identity. You establish the connection. You recruit the South. You put the borders on, along the Georgia uh, sidelines and the coast, and you get all these guys in-house and then you compete with Alabama, and then you win. It's a, it's a crawl-walk-run process, and I think Dan Lanning will do that at Oregon. He is going to be your most successful coach. He's going to get it done. He's going to win and compete for championships because he's going to take that blueprint, which Kirby learned from Nick and which he learned from both those guys and, and coaching for both programs, and he's going to establish that, that culture. It's just going to take some time. Like He doesn't have his guys in there right now. And you saw the physicality up front. When you have Darnell Washington, who's six foot seven, 270 pounds, playing tight end for Georgia, bigger than a lot of your offensive and defensive linemen. There's just a discrepancy in talent among the two programs. And head coach Kirby Smart, John, said it after the game. He said, you know, you've talked about it. He said, Lenny will never admit it. We have better players. And there's that old cliche, it's the X's and O's versus the Jimmy's and the Joe's. And I texted this to Dan afterwards. I said, I don't care how well you coach, you were never going to beat them on the field talent-wise. And deep down he knows that. But give Lanning and that coaching staff, they're going to be relentless on the coaching trail. They're going to get these elite guys in there. And I'm a big believer of what he's got cooking out in, in Oregon, man. He's, he's got it. He's got everything he wants to have a successful program. Just give him a little bit of time. He's going to turn things around. Georgia coming off the national championship, losing all those guys to the NFL. I was surprised that they looked like a Week 7 team. The offense was just humming. The defense, uh, fantastic athletes. That corner, they intercepted that first pass. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a Niners fan. I hope they take him yeah, in the Malachi first round. Stark, it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. And the thing, they just reload. I mean, to your point, they lost 15 guys in the NFL draft. You know, they had three linebackers going to the top 100, the number one overall pick overall in Trayvon Walker. But they've got these guys. I was, you know, talking to uh, Smile Munden today. Okay. I, Smile Munden, he last year, when they won a national championship, 
He played the majority of the year on special teams. He was a five-star kid coming out of, out of high school. Five-star, one of the number one linebackers in the country, and he was on special teams last year, A, because he had all that talent in front of him, but that's what they do in 2022. They just reload with elite guys, and the depth is enormous. When you have five-star guys that were the number one rated at their position playing special teams and not sniffing the field, it shows you how good they are, and that's what Kirby's doing. The depth, John, is, is where he has the advantage, and that there's just such a discrepancy between what they're doing and what everybody else is. Um, you know, I, it, it's a joke. It's really unfair. Uh, the size, the speed, the athleticism, they're going to roll through the season, and even if they get tripped up in the SEC championship game, it's going to be just like it was a year ago, John. They'll make it the, uh, the Final Four uh, based on their resume and their overall talent. Stetson Bennett will be in the Heisman hunt. You got offensive linemen that are going to be in the league. You got three or four tight ends. I was talking to one NFL scout yesterday. There's more talent in Georgia's tight end room than NFL teams have as a whole. So it's just scary what Kirby's doing in Athens. Zach Klein, ABC affiliate, WSB television in Atlanta. He's an AP voter as well. Is with us, Marcus Mariota. Let's pivot to the Falcons. A lot of people yeah. in our region want to see him stick, have success, not just be a stopgap. Did he look like a stopgap in week one? For three quarters he did, John. He did. He was 20 of 33 overall, 215. He ran for a touchdown. Uh, he had more rushing yards, nearly double the amount of Alvin Kamara, the running back uh, out of, for the New Orleans Saints. But he had costly errors, which lose confidence in your head coach and Arthur Smith. He was a third and five, second half. He gets the first down. He kept on running instead of sliding. He fumbled, turned the ball over in the red zone. Can't do that. The Falcons then have the ball 30 seconds to go in the game, third and one, and he bobbles the snap. Uh, now, he was able to jump on it, but it's fourth down. The Falcons are forced to punt. They give uh, Jameis Winston another crack, and uh, they win it You know, 19 seconds to go on, on a lengthy field goal. So when you have those, those mistakes, those costly turnovers, uh, the unforced errors at the line of scrimmage, you're not uh, having any favors with your head coach and that coaching staff when you have your third-round pick in the, uh, you know, in the rookie, Desmond Ritter, waiting in the wing. And eventually they're going to have to see what they have in him. Uh, you know, he played tremendous for three quarters, my friend. He, he was great moving the Falcons down the field, getting the position, rolling out, rushing. Uh, he was very accurate with his passes, but – at the end of the day, man, you cannot turn the ball over in the red zone, and you got to convert late in the stretch, and he just didn't do that. So he's got another tough test uh, coming up against the L.A. Rams on the road, and they go to Seattle. And listen, if you're an 0-3 team coming back home early October with the Cleveland Browns and you drop that game, now you're 0-4, there's going to be people want to see what they have with Ritter. Uh, but hopefully Marcus can turn things around and turn around and hurt. Yeah, and look, I don't think anybody's rooting against Ritter, but I think we all would like to see Marcus get a fair shake. You think it's about a three- or four-week thing before there's a serious question? I think it's how he plays, right? I mean, the Falcons aren't expected to do great things this year, but they're expected to make strides. Um, you know, people have been asking uh, you know, Arthur Smith, the head coach, how long will it take, how many games does he need to see from Desmond Ritter where you have a fair assessment. He's like, I want to give a fair assessment to Marcus. I want to see what he can do out there. I think he deserves a fair chance. And listen, he I, I was in New York when they played the Jets, that final preseason game, or the most meaningful preseason game, and he was fantastic in that, threw some tight windows, very accurate with his pass. Arthur loves the fact that he's mobile. He's going to give him a shot. But if he still makes these mental mistakes, these mental errors, and you compound them with the physical errors of turning the ball over, he's going to have a, a short leash with him. But he's going to give him the benefit of the doubt and see what he can as QB1.
How did the Alabama near loss go over in, you know, Bulldogs country? Uh, they don't care. I think at the end of the day, they know if, if they do what they need to do, to do, John, like I said earlier, they're going to be in the SEC championship game. I mean, their schedule for the regular season, for the most part, is soft. They got Kentucky, they have Auburn and Tennessee they got to deal with. Other than that, it's a cakewalk. So uh, if it's the blueprint was like they had last year, get to the championship game, win or lose, you know you're playing for the Final Four. Um, I think they're fine with that. I mean, does it, it's really what it, the bottom line. They're not con- concerned about anybody else. And he mentioned uh, visiting with Kirby Smart and the guys today. And he was pretty honest. He's like, listen, there's not much tape we can really do to evaluate our last performance against Sanford because it was against Sanford, an FCS opponent. They're worried about themselves and getting better. And Kirby's not focused at all about Alabama just barely sneaking one out in Austin. Zach Klein, before you go, tell our listeners one thing they don't understand about your job. What do people not know about the sports director at a TV station and what goes into your job? Um, Everybody thinks that I hate their team, really what it comes down to. And I tell people I root for everybody we cover, whether it's Georgia, Georgia Tech, the Braves, the Falcons, uh, because it's good for business, right? I mean, if if everybody's watching uh, ABC TV for the local coverage, uh, I think it's great for everybody here. So, um, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm blessed to be at the number one ABC affiliate in the country. I think it's fantastic that we get to go to these guys uh, and talk to them in person and develop relationships. Uh, but it's also hard when you see your friends, uh, you know, fail on a weekend, like we saw with the Braves and Kenley Jansen giving up uh, two home runs, a bullet save last night, and then obviously seeing what the Falcons and Marcus did uh, yesterday, blowing 16-point lead in the fourth quarter. So you root for them, you root for good stories. Uh, but at the end of the day, man, you you got to – you got to bring it. You have to have results, and uh, it, it's tough to see good friends lose jobs. Uh, at the end of the day, they're trying their best to win, and uh, like you know, it, it's tough to report the truth sometimes. But at the end of the day, you got to give it to your audience and uh, you be honest with them. Love to have you back on later in the year. Talk more, Mariota, Zach Klein. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for what you do. Drinks on me when you get to the A, man. Much love. <laughs> there, there it is from Atlanta, Zach Klein. You thought we were done with Atlanta? Oh no, no. Marcus Mariota's out in Atlanta, and Zach Klein's got a ballot. He put both Oregon and Oregon State in his top 25. You know, that guy ought to run for office out here. He'd he'd get votes. Leave it here. Our big splash coming up. Washington State coach Jake Dickert, top of the hour. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Love the energy from our last guest. Half the battle is the energy on radio, and he brought it. He's got good hair. It's not good for radio, but he's got good hair. He's a TV guy. Uh, Let's unpack what he said. He's talking about Marcus Mariota, who had an underwhelming uh, opening performance for the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons were ahead 23-10 in the third quarter. It looked like they were going to put New Orleans away. Uh, Marcus Mariota fumbled the ball inside the five, ruining a potential first and goal. Um, but uh, Atlanta was still in good shape, you know, a little bit later. And Falcons' defense looked pretty good. Uh, but Mariota, I thought, very underwhelming in his performance. I think he needs a big bounce back, and it is a tall order against a Rams team that I think is going to be uh, itching to prove that it belongs. What you guys think of Mariota in the opening week? Yeah, it was such a good start, too, that he thought, well, maybe this is going to be you know, a really good situation for him. And then it kind of just collapsed, right? And, you know, the Falcons have been known to lose leads like this 
but it's never good to have it, you know, when you're a guy that's trying to compete and stay in the NFL as a starting quarterback. So I thought, like, with you, a little underwhelming. Um, but I, he did show some good things. I just think that a Falcons team in general just isn't very good and isn't going to put up a lot of help for him. So it seems like a tough spot for him. Yeah, it does seem like a tough spot for him. I just, you know, I don't even know if I like his weapons that much. He has Kyle no. Pitts and, you know, Drake London, who's a rookie wide receiver. But Drake London's probably their best receiver, and he's a rookie. Cordero Patterson's a nice player, but other than that, you know, it's it's super dry in the Falcons' offense. So I, I'm not sure he's put in the best position to succeed. They should have beaten the Saints yesterday, but when I was watching that game, I kind of thought it was two underwhelming teams. I uh, looked at Pitts in this game, and I thought he would have a huge game. He didn't, but I think what, what the Falcons are going to run into, because they are shorthanded at the receiving position, I don't love their receivers, I think the Falcons are going to run into teams saying, we're not going to let Kyle Pitts beat us. And that's that needs help. Uh, he had two catches for 19 yards, seven targets, couldn't get him the ball. Uh, they've got to get Kyle Pitts the ball. But I, I thought they ran the ball a little better than I expected them, and they played some defense. So I think, you know, you're looking at, you know, you know if Marcus Mariota can have 72, <laughs> 72 yards rushing every game, um, you know, it was a little bit of mobility there, but, trying to do a little too much on on one of the plays that he fumbled and can't turn the ball over in the red zone in the NFL. You're giving away points, and that cost the Atlanta Falcons as much as anything. So we'll work look to week two. This brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing you need to know, and it's a good one. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. Well, here in the state of Oregon, the OSAA executive board today voted to implement a shot clock in high school basketball. It'll start with the 2023-2024 school year. It is long overdue. It catches the state of Oregon up to the rest of the country. Stephen, I got to ask you, you know, you've seen some coaches go four corners, keep the ball away from you. Shot clock in high school basketball. How badly was this needed? Very badly. Um, I remember when I was in high school, we had a tournament down in California. And so you have to adopt their rules. And so there was the shot clock. And it was so much better. But you don't even notice it as the thing. Like, if you're a team that's actually not trying to stall and actually trying to play basketball, you never really notice the shot clock, you know, unless the offense really breaks down. But I don't remember remembering it at all. And then when I got to college, obviously there was the shot clock. And it just makes you play more open and more free. Like, you need to make a move. You need to make some plays. So I really like it. I think it just is good in general for the game of basketball that they're bringing in, especially at the high school level. My understanding of this is that not all the schools were equipped to have a clock that would give them a shot clock uh, opportunity. But I also am wondering, who do you think this helps? Who does it hurt? Are there coaches in this state that play uh, you know, under the, you know, that will be hurt by the fact that a shot clock's coming in, or is that making too much of it? No, it definitely does. Um, the lower the shot clock, the more skill you want out of your players. So in the NBA, being at 24 seconds, like they're so skilled, it's it's like that. We're in college basketball, it went from 35 to 30, and that definitely favors the more talented teams. So in high school, it's going to be the same thing. If your team is more talented, they're going to be able to make a play at the end of the shot clock, where if you're a team that likes to stall and work your offense, try to get the best shot, but never going to force the, you know, force the, uh, the action, you're going to be stuck behind the shot clock in certain situations, and you're going to have guys being out of position and make, you know, make, trying to make a tough play when they're not capable of doing that. So it really will help the better and more talented teams, but I think smart coaches as well 
should be able to get their players in the right spots. Yeah, I think coaching's coaching. Good coaches probably uh, will will uh, take advantage of it. But I think it's good. I think it catches up, uh, you know, so to speak, gets the high school basketball scene in our state out of the Stone Age and where it belongs. Uh, what other rules need to be adopted? Do we need any high school basketball, high school football? Do you, is there any massive issue when it comes to prep sports that needs to be addressed? Hmm. Yeah, that's tough. Um, let me think about this real quick. I, I, you got any, John or Sean? Because I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm thinking on the spot. Yeah, you know what? What are the targeting rules in high school football these days? You know what? I, I it's been a while since I've been to a high school football game, but you know, for me, it, it feels it feels like you know things are, are certainly in place. And you know, the big one I think about is with high school football, and this has been talked about on the show before. Is um, you know when you have like the one seed, whoever the one seed is, and they play the thirty-two seed, and it's just you know I. I, they thought it uh, is. Are they still cutting down the the football bracket because it does feel like at the high school level when you have the best team play one of the worst teams in the state in the first round, it, it's always you know not very good for the worst team. Yeah, they. Uh, by the way, they're splitting the uh, you know the state playoffs in football into two 16 team brackets for the postseason. So there's going to be a division one bracket that'll be the top 16 teams, uh, and then the division two bracket will feature the remaining playoff teams that are not in the Division One bracket. Each bracket will get a trophy. I don't like that. There's only one state champion. You can't split the bracket. And this is in 6A. So, But what they're trying to do is they said too many lopsided first-round mm-hmm. games. Well, to me, then, that, that's okay. You're giving, you're, what you're doing is you're opening the field wide enough to give those teams at the bottom a chance to get into the playoffs. Like, I don't think you should make it easier. Yeah, I agree. Like, when I was in high school, I mean, it was only 4A, so that's how old I am. Uh, but there was only 16 teams. I, or not 16, but the only four teams from each conference made the playoffs. So you had to get to the top four just to even get into the tournament. And, you know, like in three Rivers League, there was eight teams. So you had to be one of the top four teams to get in. And then even before that, the one seed in your conference got the automatic bid to the Coliseum. So I think that I – like, I always like that because – it pays off to win your conference. It pays to win games. I think it is. I don't like the fact, like you said, put everyone in the playoffs. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, you you got to earn it, right? You got to play well and you got to well, earn it. I, I agree with part of what they did because, again, like I said, it's not very fair when it's a one seed versus the 32 seed at the high school level. It's never going to end well. And it's, you know, it could be even unsafe. But, um, you know, I, I think what they're doing is putting the 17 through 32 teams in that second bracket. Uh, they're doing that because some some teams would just never sniff the playoffs if they just cut it down to sixteen. Um, okay. You know, some so, schools just don't you, have the resources. Do you, what happens to the winner of that second bracket? You know, is there a winner, or do those teams just yeah? Like, they play off. They're playing two sixteen-team brackets, two separate brackets, and you know, to your point, the you know, let's just call whoever wins that bracket, you know, the seventeenth best team in in the state. Mm-hmm. They're going to get a trophy. But what yeah, do we call? I them? don't agree with that. What, what they should do, in my opinion, is kind of like bowls. Like for those teams that don't make the top sixteen, mm. you know, place them against a team that had a similar season and just have a one game thing for like, like that's the postseason for those teams. All right, let's monetize this and let's talk about, you know, what we could do is you could have bowls and then you have sponsors like, you know, it's not like you're getting sponsored like by like big time <laughs> energizer battery or something like that. Local like, stuff. Local stuff. Like the BFT bowl. You know? Sherwood's playing Sheldon, you know? That's the BFT Bowl. What are they doing in, like, your backyard? Yeah. <laughs> Sprague's, what, what? Sprague's playing Westview, you know? That's yeah, like what schools the, would be in the BFT Bowl? 
you know, uh, to me, it has to be 17 through 32. So you're talking about Roosevelt, South Medford, Bend, Jefferson, Liberty, Mountain View, Mountainside, you know, McNary maybe, you know, Tigard. So you're talking about some teams that, you know, they just missed out on the top 16. But I don't, I don't like the idea that they're, they're giving team number 17 a trophy. Like, they won something. They didn't. They're in the lower bracket. They shouldn't get a trophy. Okay, it's a participation thing. Jake Dickert's coming up, the Washington State coach. I'm going to ask him how he celebrated after Washington State uh, knocked off Wisconsin. Uh, what did his phone look like when he got back to the locker room? Jake Dickert, Washington State coach, coming up next. I want you to leave it here. you got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Leave it here. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.